The views and opinions expressed by guests on Connected do not necessarily reflect those of Side Street Studio Arts. Episodes may contain adult language. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Connected. This is the podcast from Side Street Studio Arts, where we interview members of the arts community. My name is Erin Rayberg, one of the founders and executive directors of Side Street Studio Arts. And today, my guest is Lindsay Johnson, the artist who currently has work on display in our gallery. Um, and I'm happy to be seeing her for the first time and kind of meeting her for the first time. We've crossed paths, um, but I'm looking forward to speaking to her more about her work. Lindsay, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, can you give us an introduction of who you are? What all, you know, I have your bio, but there's so many, there's artists, there's educator, um, there's multiple degrees. Um, there's clearly signs that you're a mother. Uh, who are you? <laughs> um, well, I am a creative. That's general, creative, um, and educator. Yes, I teach full-time, sixth through eighth graders, so middle school art, um, which I love, love, love. And um, I am a mom. I have two young boys. They're six and eight. I am married. Um, I'm on the eve of my 40th birthday. So uh, do I call myself middle-aged? <laughs> I'm 42. I say no, not middle-aged. Okay. Yet. Okay. So <laughs> I'm still a young adult. Um, and uh, I, right now I, I use so many different materials in my artwork that I don't know that I can call myself a painter. I'll call myself a mixed media artist. In the past, have you called yourself a painter? No, you know, interestingly, in the past, I really gravitated towards digital materials, Illustrator and Photoshop. Um, I was a visual arts major, so I used the computer all the time. Um, and then after a while, I really missed working with my hands. So I went back to traditional materials. That's interesting. I, you know, wouldn't have thought it, but now having had spent some, I've now spent so much time with your work that I can see kind of a digital influence with manipulation of layers and colors and things that look like different media um, within your, your current work. That's very interesting. Yeah, I definitely think I haven't abandoned those graphic design, that graphic design foundation. So thinking about how the eye intentionally moves around the page, thinking about hierarchy, um, placement, um, I definitely think that I still have those skills. And I'm grateful for them. <laughs> right, right. It all plays into each, you know, iteration of who we are as creatives. I, I love that word. That's great. Um, so, so going back 39.9 years, um, has art always been a part of your life growing up? Um, how did you discover it? And, and has it always been part of you? Um, you know, yes, I have always considered myself a creative, love drawing. Um, my mom just recently told me a story of being in preschool and one of my preschool teachers just telling her, just give her the materials and see where it goes. Um, because they could just tell I had just such an appetite for working with art materials. And um, 
now that I teach middle school and I see hundreds and hundreds of students and I have so much to remember about their lives and their needs, um, I think most of my own personal memory is gone. Um, (laughs) um, Is it give and a take? But I do distinctly remember drawing with my sisters. I have two younger sisters and we would make these very elaborate doll houses just on eight and a half by 11 paper that would be one room and then you'd make another room and you tape them together and there would be these enormous mansions that would just take up the entire floor and I don't know that we ever had people but I do remember the rooms and the homes that is amazing I love that oh my gosh I've I've fancied myself as an architect when I was a young child as well and had my aunt's Barbie fashion design game from when she was a little kid, you know, so it had the light box that you could draw on. Um, most of my projects were abandoned, but it felt real for sure. And you were probably influenced by those big JC Penney catalogs. Do you remember? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's wonderful that that one preschool teacher at such a young age was like, just give her the stuff to let her go. I, I don't hear that often enough. That's really great. Mm-hmm. Especially at that age. I think it's usually pretty prescriptive, like put this dot here and put this piece there. Um, and it's, I, I personally try to follow the tab, um, methodology or philosophy. It's teaching for artistic behavior. And it's really putting that ownership of who is the artist, the child is the artist. Um, And so not being so prescriptive with what needs to be made. Where did you come across that philosophy? Oh, um, that's actually been around for quite a while. So I'm only starting my um, fourth year teaching art. Um, I was a general ed classroom teacher and then a technology specialist for quite a long time. And, but I I knew I wanted to circle back to my creative roots. And um, I just very intentionally wanted to look online to see what does it look like to be a contemporary um, visual arts teacher in the 21st century. And I came across that and I really, that really resonated with me to just give the students access to a wide variety of materials because I believe that everyone's creative. Um, And I know so many adults that don't practice visual arts right now in their life. But I I really believe it's like matching the person with their medium of choice, you know, um, that if you, my dad, for example, um, works with wood and he has really in, in his older age gotten, um, really passionate about learning how to build things and create things, furniture, um, and my principal too, (laughs) Um, he has gotten into woodworking too, and makes these really elaborate, like, um, chairs, Baroque from all these different, you know, time periods. We were just having a conversation about the Met in New York. And he was asking, did you go in that room? Did you see this furniture? Um, so it's really, you know, connecting people with, um, with the material that that really resonates with them and the experience. And um, I think so often people limit art to just drawing or painting. And those things are great. 
Um, but you know, oftentimes people think, oh, if I can't make it realistic, then I'm not an artist. I'm no good at art. I'm not creative. Um, and I think it's more fluid than that. I could not agree more. I had a teacher, I was very interested in photography when I was younger and you had to take drawing and something else to then be able to take photography and had a teacher kind of come up to me during one of the assignments and say, so what are you doing here? Like, wh why are you in this class? Meaning you're bad at what you're doing, you know? And no. I already knew that in my brain for whatever reason. And so was like, I'm just trying to get to photography, man. Like, <laughs> you know, and he's like, okay, we'll get you through. And <laughs> But it's like little moments like that, that just are just these tiny little punches to knock whatever that juice is out of you. You know, that that little kid in me that was at that light board thinking they were amazing. Um, someone walked up and said, no, you're not. So now what? Um, that by the Ouch. time we're this age, right? Or younger or older, we know we can't do something. So why would we spend any time on it? And it's so discouraging because um, just like so many other things in life, it just takes practice. You know, you know, it just takes the work, it's the effort. Um, but then also if it's not something you're interested in, I don't know, it's such a, it can really hurt your identity. Um, it can really be discouraging. One thing I like about teaching the middle school age, it's it's the last time that you, you really catch everyone. It's the last time that people um, don't start segregating into becoming very specialized um, in the one thing that they, they really love. I mean, at that time, because who knows if you wanna keep going past 14. Um, but I one thing I do is I, um, and I didn't have the energy to do it during the pandemic, <laughs> but I would, would write little cards to them and say, you know, thanks for having me this quarter. I hope you had a good time. And by the way, you should consider metalsmithing, you know, or the jewelry making class or the wheel throwing class um, before they think, oh, I'm not going to take art in high school. Um, you know, we look at what does the high school even offer? Because remember that one project we did last year? I think you really had something there. That's so thoughtful. I, I wrote down when I was revisiting your bio, knowing that you are a middle school teacher. I remember that to be the toughest time in life and still witness it on our kids around us as being a really tough time. And um, having spent a lot of time teaching that age, it's a tough age to teach as well. Everyone is evolving on a daily basis. Um, and it can be hard to keep up with Like you said, your, some of your memories are gone so that you're able to keep up with, with your students. Um, how did you fall into the middle school place and um, how are you seeing the kids in our communities work through this moment and the last moment before this too? Yeah, um, I uh, was a visual arts, major graphic design. Um, and, you know, something happened that senior year, I was applying for jobs. And I think I just got really burnt out. Like, first of all, nothing caught um, in graphic design. And I just remember getting very burnt out by many, many, many late nights in the computer lab. I'm a procrastinator. <laughs> <laughs> 
So maybe it's not entirely the industry. Maybe a little bit was my time management skills. Um, but just thinking, this is not satisfying. <laughs> I do not like, you know, this limited interaction with other people. Um, and remembering how much I really enjoyed working with kids. Um, so I went back to school. Um, I was accepted into a program that was a uh, like a te teaching internship. Um, and I worked in first and second grade and I loved it. Um, actually, I thought I wanted to go older and I worked in, I was placed in first and second grade at first. I thought, no, this is going to be terrible, but I ended, up, <laughs> I ended up loving it. Um, and then the longer I worked with younger kids, the more I thought, oh, I'm not going to be able to go older. It's just so much harder. They're so different. And then as I was creeping up in age, you realize actually these strategies <laughs> work really well. A lot of times people make assumptions about when, you know, a learner gets older that, oh, they don't need these foundational, you know, pieces and they still do. Um, and so I found that working with older students, um, like we were able to go maybe more in depth, like content wise. Um, but the strategies that I had as a, um, like an elementary school teacher still really served me. Um, I'm in River Forest. I really like that community. Um, I live in Oak Park and it's close by. Um, and the pandemic was really tough for them. Um, the, the way I run the classroom is again, teaching for artistic behavior. The kids really have ownership of the classroom studio. And so, you know, the materials are all out. There's a lot of movement, you know, they get up, they go get whatever they need that. So that means that we could all be using way different materials. Um, it's a comfortable space. And then to have that all taken, taken away and then you go home was abrupt and it was unexpected. I remember them. I remember somebody asking at the beginning, are we really going home? And I was like, I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> come on, public school, this machine never stops. Right. <laughs> I remember the snow days we come in anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was really, um, it was really jarring. And I, I got no sleep for the first few months because I very, much um, to a fault, pride myself on making sure that the kids are enjoying themselves. It's art class. Um, no shade to other subjects, but like you expect when you come in to art, you know, it's going to be fun. And so um, after I had my little mini panic attack of they have no materials at home, um, I tried to reframe that and say they have so many things at home. Who knows what they're going to come up with and really make it open-ended. Um, and I also had a really good community online of other educators that I think were, um, they were in the same boat and we were all just kind of helping each other and getting ideas from each other. Um, so after the summer, um, we, our school got on more of a, um, better schedule. It wasn't quite as loose as in the spring. And um, I really wanted to be intentional about community building, that even though we're all in our own separate rooms in our own separate homes around the city, um, that we're still one classroom community. And we spent <clears throat> a lot of time really checking in um, how's it going? What's new? Oh, show me your cat. <laughs> um, doing a lot of community games. Um, so we were still making art, but that person to person connection definitely took the front seat. 
this year. And I think they needed that. And then when we came back into the school, um, it was just so nice. It was frightening <laughs> at first um, because we went in um, pre-vaccine and uh, we went in in December. Um, so right before the holidays. Um, but then it, it was really nice to have that in-person community too. And they were really um, like respectful about keeping distance and wiping things down. And yeah, I've been pretty impressed with kids coming back here. I also teach at a dance studio, you know, in all the different environments I've been around them in their ability to um, understand what's going on and, and, you know, be able to try to space as best they can, especially the younger ones who you can just see the ache for that hug or that touch, or you know, um, and it's, it's been really inspiring to, to watch the kids get back into a flow of creativity, um, even with new parameters, right? Rules on kids on rules on kids on rules on kids, you know, um, but they adapt so beautifully. It's really inspiring. And I've learned a lot from watching them figure out how to do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just so nice to be in our studio again. Um, and they made some really beautiful things at home too. I mean, really amazing to see um, the s- snow sculptures they made in their backyard and things that they made with this kin- kinetic clay that they had and Legos. Um, I mean, they were very, very creative and resourceful with their time at home, um, but it was really nice to, um, and I told all the parents, thank you so much for letting your students make, your kids make messes <laughs> in the house because right. I have a dedicated art room in my space and the kids paint and my own kids and they use clay, but not every house operates like that. And I was so, so very grateful to the parents too. Um, and it was just nice dialogue too, because then the parents and the students said they really appreciated, you know, by the fall, we sent materials home, but for not everything to be on the computer. You know, so um, they were working with the materials that we sent home and, you know, showing. And so the parents appreciated it. The kids appreciated it. But just to have everyone back in the studio by spring, um, it was just really nice to not work in a silo. I think artists like showing people their work in progress and asking and kind of struggling along someone else who's struggling (laughs) with the material. Um, I think that's kind of universal with the art process. Yeah, that what am I doing with my life moment in the middle, <laughs> like questioning every decision, not just that one piece of that one piece, but the whole, yeah, that is. You need that peer encouragement. And sometimes in the, in the breakout rooms, they would go in there. They would, now some, I would let them choose their breakout rooms and some were really chatty and they were with their best friend. And, you know, it was, it just felt like they were still in the art room and other breakout rooms would be totally silent. <laughs> Cameras off and I would remind them, y'all can play music. (laughs) Um, So I think it was just, it was nice for them to be back in the space and to encourage each other. If somebody says, oh, this nose looks terrible. And then their friend would say, that nose looks great. Keep going. So through all of this, you are also creating all of these works for the solo show. How? (laughs) What was your process? How did you build that process? Um... So it really started last July. I took a wonderful class through, um, I think it's MCAD, Minneapolis College of Art and Design. 
So they have, um, and actually most art colleges have summer programs for educators. And they had a painting class online. Um, and it was one week, you know, five days in a row, eight hour days. And I remember looking at the syllabus like eight hours on a Zoom. I cannot do that. <laughs> But um, my professor was amazing and so insanely talented. And we were with like 10 other classroom teachers um, who were, were just so supportive. And it was really nice. I mean, we so we all were just painting next to each other and the camera was on or not. And, you know, every once in a while we would we were just watching him paint and painting along and talking about what the spring was like and what plans we had for the fall. So um, it was really inspiring to see him work. Um, I learned a lot from the, the techniques that he shared. I felt supported from those other, you know, educators that were in the room. And I felt encouraged. Um, and then I was already developing that practice of painting every day. Um, so I started some works in his class. And then um, my first piece was Black Play Matters. If you remember what that one looks like, it's um, a boy sitting in the chair with Legos and the um, uh, protesters behind him. And um, that's act, that was actually based on my son because that chair is was in my art room um, in front of the window and he was just playing with Legos and it was July <laughs> and the, you know, the riots and the protesting was still happening. And I just thought about this moment where we are a black family, black kids, just trying to live our lives, trying to find joy. And there's so much unrest in the world. Um, and I thought that juxtaposition of, you know, what's happening, but then the immediacy of in, of just like a small family life. I just, I just kind of saw it. Um, and I took a picture of him in the moment while he was playing. I took a couple of picture, couple of pictures and then started working on it at night. Um, and I'm like most creatives full of ideas, but it's hard to follow through. Um, and maybe that's an assumption, <laughs> um, but it's true to me. So <laughs> true to most of my students too. If I have a deadline, they're like, what? <laughs> Same deadline I mentioned earlier, um, but there, um, I told you I live in Oak Park. Uh, the Oak Park Art League had <clears throat> a show and I, and I said, why don't I just hurry up and finish this and I'll submit it just so that it's not just sitting in my house. I don't just kind of, normally I just draw in my sketchbook and it never goes anywhere. Um, but I felt compelled to make this piece and then I had a reason to finish it. Um, and then when it went in, it ended up taking second place. And I felt like that was a sign to just kind of keep going. Um, so I just kept having these moments during the pandemic through the summer and fall and winter where I would have some experience and it just had a strong reaction um, or a question or something I was wondering, and I would draw it in my sketchbook and then just kind of chip away at it at night after the kids went to bed. You 
wrote about your, you know, the current works that are in the gallery as narrative pieces. And as you kind of tell the story of the, the first one of the series, all of that just rings true. It just, it, like, of course, every, everything you just said is, of course, that is built into this piece. And it's, it's so well done in that way. And I wouldn't have expected that to have been the first one. So I'm very interested by that um, trajectory. Um, I, and it also explains why when we were like, we have an opening next month. Do you want, <laughs> whatever date that was, do you want to have a show? And you're like, could I have a few more months? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just little by little. And again, I still don't see myself as someone who finishes projects <laughs> as someone who follow throughs. Um, so even to finish one painting to not just abandon it in the middle. I'm, I'm still pretty proud of myself because so often I come up with an idea, I get a little into it and then I say, meh, or something else shiny catches my attention. Um, and so I think there's something to be said for following through and finishing things. Well, and the, just like you said, those tiny motivations to do so, right? That one call for work that caught your eye, right? Maybe the next call that, okay, may, I'm going to push through on this next idea and trying to have an open mind to where those doors are opening around you. Um, sometimes we can't even do that, right? And so <laughs> making sure that we're doing that if we want to get work out there. Um, so you mentioned thinking about your small family kind of in the heart of all that is going on in the last year and beyond, right? And this, you know, adorable kid in this image with the Black Lives Matter protests going on outside, um, you know, which is very significant. And of course, all of the death leading up to that moment, um, plus the pandemic, right? Plus being isolated. Um, I think that so much of the work in the show, you can feel that just emanating out of it in such a guttural way, but also with this warmth around it, you know, like clearly there's still family love, you know, like throughout all of this. Um, and so it is, the show is filled with work that is thought provoking and um, testing, testing the viewer, as well as encouraging and supportive to the viewer to work through and understand what these um, what these pieces are or ask questions about them. Um, and and so I'd love to hear kind of your thought on on maintaining that. Um, care, I think is the, the word I keep coming back to care for the subject matter while everything is swirling around it. Yeah. Great question. Um, I'm, I'm glad that the warmth comes through because, um, I did use my children in a couple of the pieces and, um, I never, like, I think of the one greater good where the people are stacked on top of each other. And, and that's really like us in this tiny house spending so much time together. <laughs> um, and you see uh, 
at that piece, my husband's on the bottom and he's scrunched up and he's trying to get work done on his computer. And then, you know, my preschool age child has given up on <laughs> school and is just going to play with his trains. Um, and then my older child is um, on his iPad and that struggle too for parents that, you know, I have to make sure that you're engaged in school. And then also are like, are you paying attention? Like I hear your teacher calling your name and you're in front of your computer. Where are you? <laughs> if he can't see you. <laughs> um, and I'm at the top of that and just kind of waving the flag. Um, I give up. I can't do this anymore. Um, and then behind that piece, I put um, that um, I'm a big New York Times reader, and there was that one page um, in May when we hit the 100,000 deaths that was so memorable, and they just had the obits on the front page, and I cut them out um, as bricks to kind of brick in the reason why um, we are in this space, um, and I and I titled that Greater Good because um, we are doing this for the greater good of society. We're doing it for these families. Um, and so that, that number doesn't get larger. And of course it did. Um, but um, like I said, my art room, the studio in the, in my, in my home is a shared space and my own kids use that space too. And, um, so my artwork and process is always out and they see it and they, and we talk about it and, you know, what do you see? And, um, they pose for me and, um, but I never want them to feel like, you know, mom's at her wits end, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so even though I am tired, you know, um, that they still feel that love. And, and since we've been talking about the pieces, they see it as art and they also don't really see it as themselves. Like they know that it's us, but it's not us. We're the models, but this is also kind of family life in, in general right now. Um, and I think that's important because, uh, the show at Side Street is also family friendly. Um, we have that, you know, interactive installation piece. And I, I want parents to feel like they can bring their kids. Um, and as an educator who talks about contemporary art with her students, um, I want it to feel accessible for kids. I don't want them to feel like there's a right answer or a wrong answer, but I also don't want them to feel like a burden. Um, you know, that if parents are stressed out, it's not, necessarily because of the kids. Like I didn't get to go to the gym <laughs> for okay. 10 months, you know, like that was my stress relief. That was my outlet. Um, and that has nothing to do with my children, you know? So, um, and there was definitely some thought that had to be around how do I, um, include people or subjects, um, but not, um, not in a way that, places blame. It's always my, when my husband and I are talking about, it, it's like, a, it's the situation. I'm mad at the situation. I'm not really mad at you. I'm mad at this predicament that we're in right now. Um, same with that, um, Corin teaching one. Um, and then in that piece, it's also a vertical piece, 12 by 24. Um, and it's the balloon that's deflating and holding up 
this iPad with no student faces. <laughs> it's just ceilings and bunk beds and fans and black screens and they're floating away. And that's not anger at the students. You know, that's just, I get it. You're tired. You don't want to have your screen on. I don't want to have my screen on, <laughs> you know, so we just want to call today in. Um, it's just the situation. It's, it's, it was exhausting for everyone. Well, hearing you speak about it, it, it takes me to another place too, right? There's the care, there is uh, the, the facts of the situation. And while there is kind of a positive attitude, it's not romanticized. There's not a, everything's gonna be okay though, or, um, you know, but we're okay. It, you, the, I'm not walking away with like, the world is okay, you guys, here we go. Um, and that's just a really fine line to walk that I think you do really well, um, not not flushing in too much romanticism about what, what the heck this all is. Thank you, yeah. Um, and I think adults feel that pressure <clears throat> to go straight to the silver lining, especially adults if you're with kids, you know, you have to, um, help them find the silver lining, help them, you know, be happy right away. And I think both as a parent, as an, and as an educator, I'm try to let kids know sometimes it's going to suck. <laughs> you know, we many times in the classroom, our check-in was like a feelings chart and there were maybe 40 different feelings and we would read through all of them. And what's your check-in word? And um, they would say their word. And then if they wanted to elaborate, they could. Um, but many times I would say, it's okay. If you want to choose disgusted, <laughs> if you want to choose jealous, if you want to choose angry. Um, and with my own kids, my own children, I talk about disappointment or bittersweet. Um, and if they're disappointed about something, I say, hug me as hug me as hard as, as disappointed you're feeling right now. Um, because I just don't think that's healthy. I don't think it's healthy to do that toxic positivity. And we made it through. I mean, <laughs> we kept walking, <laughs> but we're definitely in a different spot than when we were a year, year and a half ago. And you can see that written on the faces of kids, especially, and their posture. And we had um, an installation art camp here over the last week. And one day I walked in and all these little, you know, hunched fifth graders like working on there and one, and there were tears. And, the, and I was like, I think it's time to go to the park and not <laughs> worry about if we finish this art, you know, like, I love that taking this seriously. I'm love that something is important to you. Also, let's go play on the jungle gym. You know, and we had more park time that day than we normally do at camp, but it was just walking back two kids separately. We're like, I think I really needed that. <laughs> that was yes. like, I think we all needed that park time, you know, yes. paying attention to all of those things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you didn't come through this year, like with your emotional intelligence somehow improved, um, <laughs> I don't want to say you need to redo the pandemic, but, but. <laughs> you should have at least learned that lesson. <laughs> you mentioned in your writing, 
trying to figure out those decisions, especially with your kids' ages about what to talk about, what to shield them them from, how, you know, how to give them a good day in in the midst of all of this. And clearly some of these conversations are already coming inside the house through your art, right? You're, you're layering this on and having these conversations, which is beautiful. Um, I assume you're just making these decisions minute by minute as a family as to how to address the issues of race and healthcare and life and death and all of these that are just bombarding um, society right now. Um, how, how do you think you're? How do you think you're doing? Right. <laughs> like how? I don't know, Aaron. Time will tell, right? <laughs> in, a, in a generation, ask you in a generation. In twenty years, um, when they see their own therapist and they come back <laughs> and tell me, yeah. Um, I think my husband and I really try to check in a lot. Um, about like, what do we individually need? What do we need as a family? Um, what do the kids need? We spent a lot of time outside um, just because it just felt like the walls were caving in on us. Um, and we're lucky enough to be within driving distance of a forest preserve, a pretty large forest preserve too. Um, uh, and that actually, um, oh, not that one. It was... Um, Waterfall Glen. Um, so that the preserve and protect was based on, we went to Waterfall Glen with some families, but um, it, we really did find relief being out in nature. Um, and that piece in particular, the kids were doing that. They were just kind of like hopping around stones um, in, the, um, in the creek, but it was also at the same time where Police were in riot gear in um, New York and things were ablaze. Um, so that's where that title came from, too. Uh, you know, a forest preserve and then the um, the job of police is to serve and protect, um, you know, but how much are these things able to protect our physical well-being or mental well-being. Um, but I, I'd like to think that we um, <clears throat> we were able to give each other what we needed, um, space. We talked a lot about space this, this year too, um, that sometimes people just need alone time and there's nothing wrong with that. If you spend a lot of time together, you can just say, I need some time by myself. Um, and my own kids really started to get it and understand that language and boundaries. We talked about boundaries a lot. My five-year-old like understands what that word means. And <laughs> again, emotional intelligence is something we really worked on this year. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, I, I, I do hope we all did. I had those reckonings of being like, I don't need to be touched as often as people touch me and my normal, you know, like here is one thing about this past year that I realized I don't have to pull away from people as much. And I was thinking about all of the zooming and like leaning in to listen to people and like getting to look at people while they talk instead of being like, they're, they're getting close, you know, um, in all of these different ways of, um, yes, understanding our, our social abilities, protecting ourselves moving forward, protecting the people we care about, both 
health-wise and as a community? Um, I mean, it's it's endless questions. Um, and then the being a woman in the world, things that just kept popping into my head that I'm like, this is something I'm not dealing with on a daily basis that I appreciate. How can I take that into the other side as it, you know, as it can fall out in front of us here? Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, one of the works I want to talk about is Jetstream. You've kind of all the ones on my list you're getting to, but um, you had Jetstream in our February show, Black Then, Black Now, Black in the Middle, um, curated by our board member, Fred Wims. And it j just felt perfect. It just felt like this perfect moment as we were allowed to conservatively be in the gallery again um, and have work up on the walls in um, this great superhero kid, <laughs> you know, kind of flying above it all. And it just felt really aspirational to me, you know, like, let's not forget every, all the, everything we still need to do and pay attention to and work on. Um, but, you know, forgive me looking like a badass, just dealing with it. <laughs> and uh, man, I just fell in love with it and enjoyed spending so much time with it. And, and, you know, that's, when we reached out to you to be like, hi, what more can we have this? What what else can we do with you? Because it was really exciting. I'd love to hear more about that piece. I know your son um, was like, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, so that's actually the first piece when I started using the masks, working with the masks. Um, Again, it was, uh, we spent a lot of time outside, especially at the beginning of the pandemic and bike riding, um, especially just around the neighborhood. Um, and at that time, you know, I was thinking about it, my, it's only been a year, but the way the kids' birthdays are, I, he's the youngest was three. So he's been three and now he's five still wearing masks. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Hmm. Um, but he was riding his tricycle and he has a red, you know, um, raincoat like that. And it just billowed out. And I had to take a picture because it looked so much like a superhero. Um, and it was again, I, that might've been my second piece, but it was again, um, more protest on the news, more, um, things happening worldwide. And, um, I just, I, I saw him flying. I saw him flying when I thought about that piece, but then I thought, and with the title Jetstream about this energy that people are putting forward through the protest, almost like that it's wind and that the wind is either propelling us, you know, and pushing us forward in the right direction or that it's going to be working against him and by I say him, I don't just mean my own son, but like this next generation of black children coming up. Um, because, you know, for example, I think about the term allies and what it means to be an ally, but then also sometimes um, people still think like maybe a little too intellectually when they're in those spaces and it becomes like, how much I know or how much I've read, but that you can still be in these spaces and like talk over people, <laughs> you know, like not listen um, to people who are living something firsthand in the room. Um, 
And so sometimes, you know, you're in a movement, but you're not actually helping the movement or the people that are in need um, because you're still taking up so much space. Um, so yeah, that's really like a, we don't know where this is going to go, where if, you know, um, if the actions and the, I think about all the things that corporate America said that they were going to do and all the companies said that they were going to do, like, where are we a year later? Um, how much progress have me, have we made? Um, and I, you know, I don't know that we can count anything as a victory yet. Do you feel a responsibility to talk about some of that within your art? You know, you're you're mentioning right being talked over and 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 different ways of performative allyship and those sorts of things. Do you feel a responsibility to show your specific family? I, I feel like family's point of view of this moment. Yeah, um, I think it's important for artists to share and show. Um, their own narrative. I mean, I also see how it's interesting to like explore different styles and, you know, go to different places and people and, you know, explore those materials and those narratives. But, um, you know, when I think about spaces and they talk about having brave conversations, you know, and that you should be careful to not speak generally and just to speak from your own you know point of view and I and I see how I think I've done that with my art too because there's plenty of families that were like I loved all this together time you know I decided I never want to send my kid back to school and I only want to homeschool from here on out so I don't think that I can speak for all mothers for all working mothers for all families that stayed home I don't think I can speak for all black women I don't think I can speak for all black families. Um, so I think it just felt natural to come from my own perspective. And if it connects with people, that's wonderful. Um, and I think it has, but I'm careful to say that this doesn't speak for all. Well, it's so often that in those specifics, right, in your specific situation, what, whatever that may be, how the specifics are the things that can touch us in, in a bigger way, right? And it, and it can be about me who doesn't have a child, who's a white woman, who it's just my husband and me uh, living in Elgin, still finding entry points that touch me and I can feel I relate to um, emotionally, especially in this moment. Um, and, and those specifics can, can transcend a lot, but also open up uh, points of view, right? That we're, especially when it's just me and my husband in a house that I'm not getting to uh, experience in, in any way, let alone a daily basis being surrounded by the work. Yeah, the more I, you know, dig into what does it mean to be an artist and um, what does it mean to make work, I keep hearing this, you know, don't try to generalize, don't try to appeal to everyone, it's okay to be very specialized about one point of view because um, it does end up connecting with people and you, 
and you can't predict, <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, when Aaron looks at something, what she's going to see or what connects to her. But as long as you're telling your truth, there's something about your truth that connects to, you know, the viewer's truth. With so much of um, the current events, you, you know, within your work laced in and layered in, um, do you consider yourself an artist activist? <laughs> I know it's a, it's a scary question. It's one of titles, right? <laughs> um, I sure. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever labeled myself as an artist ah. activist before. Um, I recently had um, I recently had something um, get published in a um, book for artist mothers. Um, I think I feel really passionate about, um, like I said, I'm, I'm a teacher. I'm on the eve of being middle-aged. <laughs> you know, there's, there's something about um, just the way we self-identify that can be really limiting. Um, and you could say, I am this and I am not that. Um, you know, and sometimes that can be that's a good thing, right? I'm kind, I am not, you know, mean, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but sometimes again, it's, it's just really limiting. And I, and I like to, um, I'd love to think that I'm an activist in the way, um, of maybe challenging some of those boxes that we put ourselves in um, and giving yourself space to explore that creativity, explore that identity, explore community, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, we have this ongoing, <laughs> endless conversation. Tanner and I as founders of Side Street and then the other directors and, you know, and staff that we worked with about I always say, if you have to say it, right? If you if you have to say, well, I'm the most trustworthy, per, right? If you have to say it, and then on the other side of that spectrum, how important being able to say it, it took me till grad school to call myself an artist, right? That word was really scary. Um, it took me even longer to um, start talking about the word activism. It's words like that, that are just so heavy, <laughs> you know, that being able to say it is something, <laughs> you know, so there's these, if you have to say it, what does that mean? And do I need to say this? What does that mean? Yes, I, I, I understand that totally. And and how we can, uh, in our world, care for all our artists and staff as we try to figure out the words we're putting to um, where we stand as an organization, where we stand as individual artists, and then so many um, young artists who work with us who do comfortably see themselves as artist activists and, 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 you know, trying to, um, support them and, and continue to understand where they're coming from. I think that, uh, working to help people self-identify and then break all the rules or relearn all the rules or whatever that is, it's something I'm going through and, and trying to work with others to, to go through too. It's just, it's I appreciate that. I mean, I think so often the art world feels really inaccessible. Um, there's this big divide between like in childhood, everyone's an artist. Yes, yes, yes. Everyone's an artist. And then 
there's like masters. <laughs> yeah. Um, then you're in a museum <laughs> or you're in the gallery world. Um, and the people in the middle, you know, that are curious about art or want to make art or want to go to a gallery on a date night, but they're not sure if they're allowed to talk about it. Cause mm -hmm. if I, am I interpreting it correctly? Um, so um, and then again, Black representation, you know, um, to see that in pieces or lack thereof in pieces. Um, I'm also working on a clay piece right now. I'm in a clay, uh, a figurative sculpture class, um, and it's a mother. We had to make um, a woman who is totally naked sitting down. And my first thought is like, why is she naked? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I thought, um, since I've been working on so many things around motherhood, then I was going to put her in a, um, a breast pumping bra. Uh-huh. I mean, that makes sense because you really got to take it all. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's not a lot of discreet discretion there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so again, for, I guess, I think I'm an activist for, if I, if I am to use the word activism, if I give myself that permission, um, for reg average people, non-artists to see themselves, to connect with the work, to feel like they can talk about it. Um, for Black people, children especially, um, I think it's important for them to see themselves in the work. Um, for parents, for mothers to see, I, I went to the Louvre with my, my husband and it was at the time when my child was, uh, um, what I was still pumping. And I remember walking through and counting how many women are breastfeeding in the paintings. Um, so there's just something really powerful in seeing yourself in pieces. Absolutely. It's so significant and important one or early on, we had an exhibit when it was just three volunteers running side street and we're like, okay, what's the next exhibit? Like, let's figure this out. And, you know, pulling from then our much smaller circles. And I was working gallery hours one day and looked around and there was not a female artist on the wall. And I was like, and it was 15 artists and was so mad at myself for not having seen that till everything was up on the wall and so mad at the other folks for not having seen it at all, and, you know, and it was one of those moments that how, how could we just throw one, one in here, you know, and it's been moments like that of continuing to pay attention and no, continuing to just pay attention and yeah. then say, okay, that's never happening again, mm -hmm. right? Uh, unless there's some intentional something that's never happening again. And um, taking that with a number of steps and flavors of artists and styles of work and that sort of thing, uh, exhibit after exhibit after exhibit. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, right now I'm working really figuratively and I'm not sure how, if that's the trajectory, if I'm going to keep going in that way. Um, but as a classroom teacher, I am really intentional about, you know, oh, we're going to work with clay. So let me find some ceramic artists and let me find them of different genders um, from different parts of the world, um, LGBTQ representation. Um, I think it's really just important to see, you know, that, 
I mean, I say this as a woman who's making work about motherhood, but all women don't make work about motherhood. Um, and all black artists don't have, you know, work that's just has black people in it. Um, but that, you know, black people make abstract work, you know, that women make screen printing. Um, but I just think what I do in the classroom too, is I have them watch videos of the artists talk about mm -hmm. their work too. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's almost a subtle way of, um, of integrating, um, this different perspectives, um, and them seeing, um, just how, having a window into just conversation um, with artists and how they come up with ideas and that they are um, creative like me or how I aspire to be. Um, one more question I wanted to get to that I don't wanna lose because we've been asked the question in the gallery is the use of masks. Um, we have our wall of masks and before the first exhibit, I had some of my students down there, you know, and we followed your directions about putting a thought or a memory and a, a young student had lost someone and drew a tombstone and then um, wrote their name and then asked me to write, I hope they come back, you know, help to, to fill that out. And um, it was very matter of fact in the way, a, you know, a child can do that. And then um, and then we wound up talking about it for 10 more minutes, you know, telling me everything about this person that they lost, which was a really wonderful conversation. And so I know firsthand that that interactive wall, it has already um, had some of its intended, you know, effect that I know you were thinking about when the idea came. And so, um, you know, where did that idea of working with these masks that have become really a, a part of our lives um, forever <laughs> now and um, turning them into this uh, art project plus uh, material, you know, material for use. How did, how did that transition and, and formation of idea happen? Um, so Jetstream was the first one where I started using that. And um, I remember driving in the car, I think I was driving to Home Depot, trying to find like the perfect blue <laughs> because, our, um, because my painting professor said he used a mix of oil and latex um, because oil paint is so expensive that he uses it in certain areas. But then when he needs mm -hmm. to cover a lot of ground, he just uses latex paint from Home Depot. Um, and I was looking up at the sky and I was in the car, which was littered with, um, you know, hand sanitizer and wipes and, oh yeah, these, <laughs> these other masks, um, that had been used. And I thought, you know, why don't I just use these? It was, I think they were the exact same shade as the sky as I was driving. And I thought that's a perfect blue. I already have a bunch of these, um, at the start of the pandemic, we bought these, you know, really posh, fancy, patterned Etsy masks <laughs> that were cotton and pretty. And, you know, it was wonderful because it was supporting small local artists. Um, but my husband did so much research on happy safe. <laughs> and he was like, it comes down to, you need the three ply, you need the regular disposable. So we stopped using those fancy, pretty ones. And we went back to using these disposable ones, but it felt so wasteful. 
um, to use it and then toss it. Um, and we, at the start, we were so paranoid and we thought just like you use it one time and then now I have all these germs on the outside. So I'm never going to use it mm -hmm. again. Um, so we had so many of them um, and it just felt kind of natural um, to use them as this way to show this pervasive, silent feeling of being in a pandemic, like I'm in my house and I walk outside and outside looks normal, but don't touch anything. You know, don't touch anything. Don't go near anybody. Um, you don't know who's sick, who's not sick, if there's cooties on that thing, if there's not. Um, so, you know, silent, invisible and deadly. Um, and that, you know, felt appropriate to be sky, you know, to be air. Um, that you can't see it, but it's there, which also means you can forget about it sometimes. Um, and I think about that one play at your own risk. And, you know, we didn't go to playgrounds for months, months. And, you know, at the beginning they were all taped off. I don't know if you were in Elgin, but they were taped off and you couldn't go. And then they opened them up, I think over the summer and we were still terrified and we did not let our kids go on the playground. Um, so again, it was that whole, you can't see something, you think something there, but then time will pass and then you forget about it and you think you're safe and then you remember. Um, and that's kind of what I was thinking as I was using that. The mask felt like a very tangible way of remembering this time. I love that you bring up that quiet because there is so much movement in so many of your pieces. You know, I'm, I'm, I am, picturing jet stream right there is very clearly movement um even uh the the one with the balloon what's the title again of that one right teaching yes thank you there's you know there's clearly movement in that and you really put your finger on it for me those blues are lovely to look at but they are so muffling there is that stillness and quiet despite all of this um, energy swirling around the different parts of, of these works. It's just really an, a really active way to create that, um, quiet and, uh, fear to, a, you know, to a certain extent too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not the same as, you know, you see something's on fire, you know, you see the fire, you know, not to go there. You know, that's very like, be afraid of that. But you can't see the pandemic. You can't see who is sick and who is not sick. And if that, you know, pencil or that fence or that stoplight button has germs on it. Uh, I mean, we were still wiping down our groceries for a long time. I mean, we might've stopped like this past February or March. Yeah. Um, because we just, in our home, were so fearful about um, just what might have been contaminated. And that's just something I wanted to not gloss over. You know, 20 years from now, when we go back and look at things, I don't want it to be, yeah, we had this hard moment, but, you know, we got through it. Like, it's okay to sit in that moment and remember that for 20 months or not 20 months, 12 months, we had to wipe everything. It took two hours to, to put our groceries away. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That is 
well said and well <laughs> uh, shown in your show too. Um, Lindsay Johnson, thank you so much for your time. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and um, an absolute pleasure to spend time with your work. I'm glad we still have a, have it for a couple more weeks now um, for people to come check out. Thank you very, very much. Thank you so much for having me. And I, and I appreciate everyone who visits the show um, in person or even online. Um, and I just hope you all feel seen and validated um, your experience happened. Um, and I hope everyone had some type of outlet. And even if it was too overwhelming in the moment, like it's okay now, you know, to go back through your camera phone and I don't know, save some of those, frame some of those. We all did a hard thing. <laughs> we all did a hard thing. Absolutely. Um, your work is heading in different trajectories. If people want to follow your work or um, find your website or anything like that, where can they find you? Yeah, thanks. Um, on Instagram, I'm at Studio Lindsay Johnson. And my website is Lindsay Johnson, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, because there's lots of different ways you can spell Lindsay, um, dot A-R-T. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Connected. Um, find us, rate us, come back again, check out all of the Side Street Studio Arts things we have going on, um, and have a wonderful day. Thank you, everyone. Connected is a Side Street Studio Arts production. Music by Tanner Melvin. Produced by Nick Mataragas. To find out more about Connected and all the great things Side Street Studio Arts offers, please visit sidestreetstudioarts.org.